This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at chabacasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Uncut Gems. How you doing, Holly? How's it going? Hey, Howard. Put Pesach out. All right, Larry. You're a Jew again. Welcome back. We made a crazy risk. We gambled. It's about to pay off. So I want the Celtics to cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I want Garnett points and rebounds. What do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. It's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. I disagree, Gary. You're taking my money all over town, placing bets. I'm having very serious second thoughts. Are you serious right now? I know I fucked up. Howard, where's the money right now? Howard, got my money? Howard! Is it too late? I'm done. That means nothing. It meant nothing. Please. Give me another shot. You like to win, right? This is no different than that. Black Joe Power, nigga. This is my fucking way. You think I'm stupid, Howard? You and your whole fucking family. I heard you resurface your fucking swimming pool. I, you know how that makes me feel? Never resurface you anything. Than I don't life. know who said that. I told you about how things were going to go. You like the way things are going now? That's my family! Get the kids out of the house! You having a good time? Yes. This is me. This is how I win. Game night, you should be stretching out. Hey, what is he, a coach? Nah, just a fucking crazy-ass Jew. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Uncut Gems, and the story is as follows. Set in the Diamond District of New York City, Howard Ratner, a jewelry store owner and dealer to the rich and famous, must find a way to pay his debts when his merchandise is taken from one of his top sellers and girlfriend. The film is starring Adam Sandler, Julia Fox, Kevin Garnett, Lakeith Stanfield, Idina Menzel, Judd Hirsch, Eric Bogosian, The Weeknd, and Adam Abad. It is written and directed by the Safdie brothers, Benny and Josh Safdie, and co-written by Ronald Bronstein. Join me for this podcast review. I have Lauren LaMagna. Those gems are nice. And they are cut, uncut? 
<laughs> what do you think? They're definitely uncut. Whatever that means. Mm-hmm. And then we also have Danilo Castro. Hello, hello. All right, guys. So Uncut Gems, a movie that uh, we've been waiting for. It's one of the uh, last releases of the year here. Um, it premiered at the Telluride Film Festival, where I actually had the uh, privilege of seeing it uh, at the world premiere. And uh, boy, oh boy, do I have a story to tell about my experience uh, with this movie. And uh, I'm, I'm going to get to that in a little bit here. But this is also very exciting because Josh and uh, Benny Safty, uh, two young New York filmmakers coming up on the independent scene. Uh, with each film, it seems like they are constantly gaining more and more fans. Uncut Gems looks like it's going to actually be their biggest uh, breakout success yet as they continually keep on uh, adding more and more to what it is that they keep pushing, like what they keep doing as artists, essentially. And I'm excited to see where things go for them. Um, it's been a very natural progression from Daddy Long Legs to Heaven Knows What to Good Time and now to Uncut Gems. Adam Sandler, also, not giving us a shitty Netflix comedy. Love you, Adam, but those movies, they're crap, and you know it. <laughs> Instead, he is uh, delivering one of his uh, more finer uh, performances here. Uh, some might say his best ever. So there's a lot to talk about with this one. I want to pass it over first to uh, Lauren. Lauren, why don't you tell everybody what you thought of Uncut Gems. As soon as I saw the trailer for Uncut Gems, I knew that this was going to probably be in my top 10. I love the Safdie brothers. I love, again, as you said, Matt, how they're just, pro- it, it's, they know what they are, they know what they want to say. They know what they want to make and which each film that they're doing, they're just getting better and better. And as soon as I read that Adam Sandler was going to be in a Safdie brothers film, it's a pair that I never saw coming. But once I read it, I was like, that is a perfect collaboration group and that's a perfect combination and as soon as I saw the trailer again I was so excited to see this like gritty Jewish New York experience that really just encapsulated of you know I'm trying to just make it and nothing seems to work and once you know you see the movie within the first 15 minutes it just kick starts and it does not stop and it pushes the throttle faster and faster and faster and you you kind of can't breathe and that's part of the experience of the experience is just a huge anxiety rush and I loved every single second of it. So I am, I love Adam Sandler in here. It's one of his strongest performances, I think of his career. And I just think the Safety brothers are getting better and better and better. And I can't wait to see it again. And I can't wait to see what they do next. I really can't. I remember when they uh, talked to us at Telluride before anybody saw it, they were just like kind of giving us like one sentence previews, if you will, of like, you know, the movies that they had chosen and what we can expect. And when they said Uncut Gems was likely to give us a heart attack, I was like, oh, man, I was like, sign me up. I love movies that give me a tremendous amount of anxiety. So I was really, really much looking forward to uh, seeing this one. And uh, I love what you said there, too, also about capturing that New York experience of things constantly moving, the feeling that even when I get a little bit ahead, I end up taking like two steps back. And uh, it's 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 tough, you know. These streets they will eat you alive out here, you know. That's for sure. <laughs> so they will. I like the I like that you brought that up, uh, Danila. What about yourself? Um, I came to the Safety Brothers with good time, uh, and then I kind of went backwards and kind of worked my way back up. Um, they have a th- their style is manic. It's exciting. It's colorful. It's like it's like acid film noir. It's like acid noir. It's this weird hybrid of things and. It's just really exciting. So off a good time going into the trailer, uh, like Lauren said, it was just like, yeah, I'm in. And from that first sequence, it, it 
just is a freaking horse out of the race horse stable and it just keeps going. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased with that. I think the performances are stellar, not just from Sandler, but uh, the cast as a whole. I think the script overall is tighter than some of their previous films. So I, I this is totally a step forward for them once again. Um, but we'll get, you know, we'll get more into the nitty gritty as we go on. So, okay. As I said before, I have a very, very long history with this movie day going back to its premiere at Telluride. Let me tell you guys really quickly what that experience was like, because the review that's on the site is my review from Telluride. And I could tell you all that it was one of the worst movie theater going experiences I've ever had. And I thought that the fault lied with the movie. So I'm watching this thing, and there's a lot of overlapping dialogue, there's a lot of shouting, um, and the sound mix is so punishingly loud. The score, which is an awesome listen on its own, by the way, by uh, Daniel uh, uh, Lopatin. Yes. It completely drowned out everything that was going on in this movie when I saw it at Telluride. I could not make out a single line of dialogue in so many of these scenes. And from the very beginning, when all those synths start, like, in the opening credits, and they just kind of continue on throughout the film, there's, like, maybe only, I don't know, like, four, maybe five quiet dialogue scenes. Otherwise, it's just go, 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 go. And it was a very grating, frustrating, and annoying experience for me. And I did not like the movie as a result because... I walked out and there were a lot of people who also felt the same way. Um, and I also heard that there were a lot of people who didn't feel the same way. And they felt that the uh, the noise, if you will, uh, actually helped to add to the anxiety. And I was like, no, I, I just thought it was noise at a certain point. Like it really didn't do anything for me at all. Um, there was another issue I had, which I'll get into in a little bit. But I want to concentrate on the noise. And the reason for that is because, you know, when the film got majority high praise from a lot of people, a lot of people I respect, I kind of had this feeling, all right, maybe something was up. Maybe I need to give this another shot. And like when Adam like tells her, come on, give me another shot. <laughs> <laughs> so I go to the uh, screening, uh, uh, an early screening of this film again. Uh, this time, Josh and Benny Safdie are present along with uh, Adam Sandler. Uh, movie ends. And the sound mix was amazing. I mean, like, it was a night and day difference for me. I heard everything so much more clear. I had a great time watching the movie. I think also knowing uh, where things were going kind of helped a little bit as well. And after the movie's over, I go up to Josh and Benny and I'm like, guys, I got to tell you. What was up at Telluride with the uh, sound mix? And then, like, Josh literally slaps Benny, like, in the chest and goes, See, dude, I'm telling you, we should never have rushed it, you know, for the premiere. And they're like, yeah, yeah, it was, like, 95% done. It wasn't fully fully finished. And they're like, we went in and we made a couple of tweaks afterwards. And they're like, how did it sound tonight? I'm like, it was great. So, you know, they were so ecstatic to hear me say that. I got the chance to meet Adam Sandler like that evening. It was really, really nice. And um, my overall opinion on the movie definitely went up. I've now seen it a third time since then. And this movie, for what originally started off as a 5 out of 10 rating for me, has done a complete 180 almost 
almost like I mean this is like a drastic drastic change for me in terms of where I started with a movie to where my final score will end up being at the end of this podcast review I fucking love this movie I love this movie. I cannot overstate it enough. Um, so I want to ask you guys, actually, kind of jumping off of that point, what did you guys think about the use of sound in this movie to kind of create that heightened anxiety-fueled uh, stress? Because I definitely think that that is a deliberate choice on their part. So what did you guys think of it? I loved it. I mean, especially with um, just the sound effects plus that amazing score. You need the music to be a part of a film to, that keeps you going, that does you're on the train and the train doesn't stop, and instead of it stopping, it just speeds up the more you get into the film. So in order for you to get that effect, you obviously need like a good performance, and Adam Sandler more than delivers. But you do need that sort of music to keep you going because that is something that like universally all humans react to, and I think it's incredibly important. So I understand, you know, how something like sound, which most average moviegoers don't really take into account can make or break a film like this yeah there was um a video um i was talking to a friend of mine aaron uh newworth and uh you know he was telling me that like there is a um video online of somebody doing like a comparison of um shitty video versus shitty sound and how sound is more likely to ruin somebody's experience watching something than video is and I thought that was so, so interesting. And I, you know, can totally, totally relate to that after the experience I had with this movie. Uh, but what, what, what you're saying there, Lauren, I, I completely agree with you. And I also think, too, from a visual standpoint, uh, Darius Kanji, the uh, DP of this film, you know, he shot some really, really incredible movies. Uh, Seven, he also did The Immigrant, uh, Lost City of Z. I mean, this guy is like the real deal, and he's probably one of the most underrated cinematographers working today. The way that they're able to capture New York, and Lauren, you know, I mean, yeah. like you're from New York. It feels so authentic without being documentary-like. I, I, I really felt like I was watching um, not a modern-day taxi driver in terms of the storyline, but just in the way that New York was captured on film. It just felt so of its time, even though it's, what, 2012, I think it is, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. so, so specific. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I came out of yeah. the movies, and um, even, like, within the opening shot of just, like, Adam Sandler walking and going through the Diamond District, I had that feeling, I'm in New York, and I'm in this modern-day sort of gangster mob-type movie of, like, New York City, and of this, like, the average guy just trying to stay above water and try just to get a little bit above everyone else but like obviously society and life just pulls him deep under where he doesn't know what to do anymore and then he tries to get up again and then it swallows him down so you see this huge jungle and this huge tidal wave that is new york city just coming at him and swallowing him up whole which i think is perfectly captured in this film this soon again the first opening shot i was like they got it and i think that just plays tribute to the Safdie brothers. So I think this is, correct me if I'm wrong, this is a personal film for them. You know, their father was working in the Diamond District as well in New York City. So that kind of helps that come across for me because I see that, you know, this is familiar to them and they understand this world. I think one thing that's interesting, kind of going back to the sound, uh, the Safdie brothers have mentioned Robert Altman as a big influence. That makes a tremendous amount of sense. <laughs> yes. The, the way yeah. Altman would utilize overlapping dialogue and sound in films like Nashville and even later on in The Player and stuff, 
very much plays to their strengths here because it not only ramps up the anxiety but it works into like what you guys were saying about the setting you know everybody feels like they're off on their own little story the characters don't feel like wallpaper they feel you know that they all are alive in their own way and i feel like that helps ramp up uh just the rhythm of it outside of what's going on in the story i also think there is a element of like leaning in you know, because it's like, OK, I've got like seven people crammed into uh, this jewelry store, uh, maybe even more. And they're all like talking at once, pretty much uh, side conversations happening, multiple people, uh, you know, talking at once. And, you know, it makes you as a viewer, I think, like lean in a little bit and it kind of like sucks you in into the story just a little bit more because you're now trying to pay attention. And part of that is because Sandler is just so compelling um, in this uh, lead role, I remember thinking to myself, like, ah, you know, Sandler, you know, I don't know if he's like the best actor in the world, even in films where I thought he was like, you know, really stretching himself and doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, I still always thought that he was playing like almost like a version of himself. But here, you know, Lauren, you were talking before about how uh, the city is always threatening to like swallow him up and such. I think that, in fact, uh, ha- um, his character here, uh, Howard Ratner, his worst enemy isn't the city or the people around him. His worst enemy is is himself because ultimately he's suffering from a severe gambling problem. And he keeps on getting in his own way, even when he scores huge. Like, if we score the kind of money that he scores in this movie, we'd be like, I'm done. Like, that's it. Never again. I'm never taking another chance on anything in my life. <laughs> like, I am resting on my laurels. That is it. But no, this guy then takes the money and he's risking it all. And it's like, oh, my God, dude, what are you doing? And that's where, like, the anxiety, I feel like, really, really comes into play a lot in terms of the engagement because – One thing that I think Josh and Benny Safdie do so, so well here with the casting of Sandler is they are very, very aware of we as an audience, how familiar we are with Adam Sandler. Definitely. And that there is already kind of like a social contract, if you will, between the audience and and Sandler on screen, right? Definitely. Yeah. So we're already, despite um, how, you know, much of a low life this guy might be or how much of a fuck up he is. We're always still going to be attached to him because it's Adam Sandler on screen. And so that vulnerability and that sympathy uh, that is able to come through when he especially puts on like the sad puppy dog like eyes at certain moments, it, 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 it really is tremendously effective. It's just like a perfect merger of artists uh, coming together who are just so in sync with what it is that they want to achieve on screen. I, I definitely agree. And I think the way that the Safety brothers kind of utilize sort of um, Sandler's ticks to kind of flip them in a way, like the way he kind of talks through like gritted teeth, uh, the aloofness kind of these things that are kind of used to show him usually as a loner or as kind of an awkward character. They're flipped in, in such a way that to show them kind of from a different angle. And I think that's what makes the performance different from some of the ones you mentioned before where they're good but they're they're kind of just variations on the adam sandler persona i mean think about like just his line delivery of like when he says to uh gary he's like i disagree <laughs> you know like <laughs> it's just so uh interesting and unique and uh you know like i i love that one moment in the trailer it happens in the movie too where uh you know I, one guy asks him at one point he's like you having a good time and then he's just like yes 
<laughs> I don't know how he like came up with that line reading like that, but it's just you're watching Sandler make choices as an actor that I mean, just the very idea of Adam Sandler making choices is something that just feels like a foreign concept to us sometimes, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like to your point, the 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 cadence of some of his lines are so bizarre. Oh, totally. And I don't think it's fully done justice in the trailer. You know, once you really settle into the movie, it's like these are these are some odd deliveries. But they always work, you know, they when do. he's like talking to like they Kevin do. Garnett. Oh, my God. We didn't even bring up Kevin Garnett, actually. But like when he's talking to Kevin Garnett, he's like, KG, I can feel it, man. I know. I know. I got you. <laughs> like He has this. It's like energetic, but then also kind of uh, lazy at the same time. I don't know how he, it's a very This is your night, man. <laughs> balance these strengths. <laughs> um, really quick. Kevin Garnett, The weekend. What would you guys think of, like, the inclusion of these people in this movie and how they're playing, uh, ultimately, versions of themselves? Uh, I thought it was I thought it was interesting. I It, it struck me as, uh, like, it could possibly err on the side of gimmicky uh, when I saw the trailer, especially The weekend. I thought that was kind of an odd choice. But uh, knowing that it is sort of a period film, even though it's not that long ago, uh, it really helps set up the realism of the period and the grittiness and just the song choices and the fact that scenes are going on while the weekend is performing. It's all very oddly kind of meta. And I think it works to the film's advantage. It gives it kind of a an extra flourish of style, I think, that most other crime films don't have. There's also a nice mixture of well-known actors like Lakeith Stanfield, Judd Hirsch, and then um, some character actors like uh, Eric uh, uh, Bogosian. And uh, newcomer, uh, Julia Fox, who uh, plays Howard's uh, employee and uh, like his, uh, you know, side girlfriend. Um, oh, and I, I, I didn't mention Idina Menzel as well as his, as his wife. So there's like a nice mixture of well-known stars, character actors, unknown newcomer actors. It, it, it all kind of just feels like it, 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 it shouldn't work, but it somehow does. Yeah. And the believability of it all is always present. It's a credit to them, I think, that they sidestep what could have been a, a gimmicky decision. Which I think is an awesome testament to the Safdie brothers' direction, because they know perfectly how to collaborate with someone like Adam Sandler, and then these other character actors, then these total newcomers who've never been in a film before in their entire life. So the fact that they can have all of these guys work together, because Sandler jumps from all of these guys, he's in all of these, he's in scenes with all of these actors or newcomers or character actors. And it all flows together well. So where I personally didn't bat an eye, where I could be like, okay, it never felt weird for me. That's what I'm trying to say. And I do think that plays tremendously with the direction of the Safdie brothers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. 
We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. And I want to just say for the record, too, uh, one of those unknown actors who doesn't have any IMDb credits to his name other than this, Keith Williams Richards, who plays uh, one of the bodyguards in this uh, film, he's got one of the best voices, tough guy voices <laughs> I have ever heard in anything ever. He's like, you know, we got to do this right now. We're going to go outside. It's like, I, I, Lauren, you said it like off air. The amount of cigarettes this man must have smoked. <laughs> Yeah, you like, know? I don't know how you can achieve that except for smoking like three packs a day for five years and then finally get it. But, you know, he was great and scary. And he is also a type of guy that I would expect to see like off like 53rd Street, like on a given Saturday night. You know what I'm saying? I could see this character existing. I also love to um, you don't know, like, who's an extra and who's not when uh, Sandler's walking down the street in some of those scenes, you know, and you got guys coming up to him, like, asking for, uh, Howard, Howard, do you have my money? And, like, these, these like, very, very brief moments of, like, people coming up to him and stuff, you know, it's like, I don't know if they just got extras or if they were just, like, saw someone, they were like, hey, I like your look, you want to be in this scene? And it's like, <laughs> you know? But it just feels very New York to me. Yeah. It's, it's really, really well done in that regard. Um, moving over to Adam Sandler for a second here. I know we talked about him about it before, but I want to just really, really, really hone in on this for a minute here. Personally speaking, I think this is the best thing that he's ever done. I, I agree. He's great, yeah. I, I remember out of Telluride thinking like, okay, definitely my favorite Adam Sandler performance ever. I remember thinking there's no way he's going to get like any... Best Actor Oscar traction for this, though. It's an A24 film, uh, so you don't know if the campaign is going to be like super strong or not. Um, I also felt like the film was divisive. You got to remember, too, when I saw it the first time. So, you know, that was working against it for me. But to see like the campaign that he has run and to see him uh, really put an effort in, like, I mean, it's clear that I think he really, really wants it. He's trying. And I think the performance on its own really is worthy and it kind of uh, all culminates in that one scene where he kind of has a bit of a reckoning with himself um and he 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 like honestly like i we see adam sandler like openly weep um like in a very very pathetic way um where he's just like you know he can't seem to understand why nothing is going right for him you know Mm -hmm. it reminded me a lot of um Another uh, another Jewish serious comedy movie called A Serious Man, uh, made by another brother directing duo, mm-hmm. uh, the Cohen brothers, in the sense that, you know, there was a guy who also felt like he was just hitting like a patch of bad luck, um, but that patch kept on going and going and going and nothing ever seemed to be going right for him. What I love about what this movie does, and I hope this isn't a spoiler or anything like that, but like, you know, there are certain things that do go um, Howard's way at times. And we we always have those moments like kind of like hanging over us. Like, is he going to get his medical tests back? Is he going to, you know, do well with uh, scoring, uh, you know, with Kevin Garnett, like in this game? Is his wife going to get upset with him about his affair? Like, there's all this stuff that he's juggling and you don't know how it's ever going to turn out. I like that the film doesn't just pile on the whole 
if everything doesn't work out, there are some things that do work out for him. And I, I think that's what makes this film interesting because, like I said, one step forward, mm-hmm. two steps back. Mm-hmm. And that's like the whole movie in a nutshell. I said it gives you that kernel of hope, the fact that some of them work. And it's like, maybe he'll pull it off. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of like not I wouldn't I don't call it juggling. I kind of call it Howard putting in a little bandaid on every single thing and then running to fix the other one. And then everything's starting to flood out a little bit. And then he tries to put another <laughs> bandaid on and then another one. And then he just runs out of hands and you forget about like the first problem because he kind of fixed it, but not really. And then once he has all of these others, you could maybe say major conflicts or major plot points. And that's when the first one comes up and then it becomes that big snowball effect where he does finally break down where he feels that he can't do anything but as we're watching the film we do again see him succeed but then Howard just be is just Howard and does Howard things where he puts himself in another complicated situation that makes him in such a horrible stressful state which makes us as the audience even more stressful because we think we have a time to breathe but then Howard just does what Howard does. Yeah. Definitely. And when you say complicated situations, um, you know, the person that he owes a tremendous amount of money to is his brother-in-law, uh, Eric Bogosian, who's playing Arno in this movie. And he's the one that's got the bodyguards now coming after him because Ar- Ar- it's very clear that Arno just has had it with uh, Howard. He doesn't want to deal with him anymore. Um, and he doesn't want to see him get hurt necessarily, but he owes him a lot of money. You know, like, like what, in excess of like $100,000, I think it is, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he has to resort to some tough guy tactics, but it's not something that he himself wants to uh, necessarily, I think, get personally involved in. And like I said, he also doesn't want to see Howard actually get hurt. What do you guys think of that relationship and how that's like so integrated into uh, the family dynamics of it all? It just made it that much more complicated for me. Like, it wasn't just like, I'm kind of taking out a loan, but I'm not really intending on paying it. It's, you know, this is a family situation, especially with the whole fact of his marriage is falling apart. His wife, who's played by Dina Menzel, really doesn't want anything to do with him, you know, throughout a decent amount of the movie. So we see him, again, trying to fix things and trying to make things better. But the problem is not just at work. It's just as more, it's just as stressful in his own family home as it is on the streets of New York. Long Island is just as stressful and just as dangerous because his work comes home with him in both ways. Yeah. There's a great scene. uh, I'll just say it takes place at a play that sort of perfectly summates that dichotomy of like the professional and the personal kind of clashing. Yeah. I also really like the scene too where uh, they're all getting together for a dinner, Um, not Mm. just the immediate family, but like all members of the entire family. And Judd Hirsch is there, and he's kind of like the patriarch, I guess, of the whole family. And um, there's a bit of like, you know, just kind of like interesting familial dynamics going on, if you will, amongst everybody that I found to be uh, pretty interesting at times and how Howard was trying to like kind of navigate his way through everything. Uh, So all of that was a lot of fun and definitely kept me invested throughout. What do you guys think of Lakeith Stanfield as uh, Damani? Uh, this uh, this is basically like one of Howard's guys who uh, brings in clients into the jewelry store that buy expensive jewelry. And as a result, Imani gets a bit of a cut uh, from Howard for that. What would you guys think of like him and his interactions with Sandler in this? Uh, I thought it was a good performance. I thought the scenes with Sandler were good. There wasn't a, a whole lot to the character, but I thought in terms of execution, he was entertaining. And I think he added a little bit 
that maybe wasn't on the written page. Um, it, it's always nice to see Lakeith Stanfield. I think he kind of punctuates everything he's in, but it, it's not one of his best performances or anything. I agree that the character is written a bit bland, and uh, he makes it interesting because, you know, he's Lakeith Stanfield. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I really do wish is I do wish that there was a, like more I, – I, I wish that character had a bit of an ending – um, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. something that I, I really want to just touch on here, actually. This is like my only knock against the film now. Literally my only knock against the film. Is that when the movie ends, I feel like the message of this movie is extremely basic. There really isn't like much of a takeaway. Um, I also don't feel like it's incredibly like layered. Like it's the kind of movie that I feel like I would be able to come back to at a later time and uh, get something totally different out of it. I feel like it would be entertaining uh, to come back to it. Like I said, I've watched it three times. I can't wait to watch it another three more times. But I don't know if this is a movie that will reveal new stuff to me over time because the message is is just so simple what it boils down to at the end of the day. What do you, what do you guys think of that? I, I agree with you. I think like a lot of film noir or neo-noir, I think the, the message is pretty bold-faced, but I think the, the joys of rewatching kind of come down to the aesthetic and the performances, at least for me. I think um, this film perfectly sums up that New York City, especially the Jewish community of New York City, especially the Diamond District, is such a dog-eat-dog world. And, you know, you either get rich or you become number one or you try your hardest to be number one. And, um, you know, it's Game of Thrones. You either see yourself on the top or you die. There is no middle ground, really. And that's, you know, that's why I see it's like a modern-day sort of mob movie where you keep trying and you try and you try and it's everyone is always against you and you're just fighting to see who actually will get on top and how much you have to crawl and how much you have to back turn and stab and to just breathe one sigh of relief so I do like that doggy dog world sort of situation and I don't know maybe I'll get something out of it or maybe it's also you know about capitalism and you know this the whole world relationship with it because you know the film starts off you know in africa where the opal where the uncut gem is found and then it travels all the way to new york and it's found in this world where it doesn't really become about it anymore it doesn't really become about the gem or where it's come from or the danger that it's put people in in order to get there it just causes destruction from this one rock i love when kevin garnett asks him yo he's like Real talk. What'd you pay for this? And Adam Sandler was like, that's an unfair question. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, no, because Lauren, you're perfectly uh, right, I think, in saying that this gem has caused so much of the conflict within this movie and has been like the driving force Mm -hmm. of so many of these characters' decisions that at a certain point... Yeah, I kind of do want to know what this thing is actually worth because it's putting us all through a lot right now, you know? So when Adam's like, you know, just tells him, he's like, I I, I can't answer that. That's an unfair question. I'm just like, oh, my God, this fucking movie. (laughs) It's got kind of a – it reminded me kind of a Maltese Falcon vibe. Yeah. Just that that MacGuffin, that untouchable priceless MacGuffin. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. And then I also, I'm kind of with you there too, Lauren. The the opening is very, very interesting. And it's also interesting that we kind of never really go back to that. Mm -hmm. I don't have anything to really comment or say about that necessarily. But I think uh, another viewing might 
reveal something else there. So we'll, we'll see uh, over time. So for final thoughts then uh, on Uncut Gems, uh, basically, if we didn't talk about anything that you want to bring up right now, um, I'd kick it off first uh, to Danilo. Danilo, uh, anything you want to bring up or anything you want to reiterate for Uncut Gems? Um, I think I said most of what I took away from this film. I do want to point out something we didn't touch on, which is uh, Sandler's costumes are fantastic. I think the look of the glasses and the earrings and the leather jackets and the yellow, it just it's 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 almost a costume. And I think it really serves to distinguish Adam Sandler, the persona from Howard, the character. I think a lot of it does a lot of the heavy lifting and kind of elevates the performance just that little bit more. Daniela, no joke. I want to grow back my hair. I want to do a goatee. <laughs> I want to be Howard Ratner for Halloween 2020. Let's make it happen. Oh, that would be so great. You could totally rock it. I'm just going to go around the streets of New York. And I'm just going to, you know, hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> do my best Adam Sandler for everyone. Okay. Nah. Um, how you doing? That would be a great costume. Yeah, he'd be fantastic. All right, really cool. Lauren? I think this movie is such a ball, and I love it. And I, even though like it's so slim, I'm still on the Adam Sandler for Best Actor train. For, I want him to get in. It's like my low-key like hope and dream. But I know it's got a tough climb. But it's just awesome. Again, I love this collaboration. I, again, I never thought I wanted it or needed it. But again, it's 2019. Anything can happen. And... I can't wait to see it again to see what I get out of it even more. I, uh, for my final thought, want to mention uh, Julia Fox, uh, who I think is really, really good, especially in this uh, scene uh, where he, she's arguing with Howard on the street um, post a scene with The weekend. And uh, I, I think that she's got like a magnetic quality about her, especially when we get to the third act too. Um, and, you know, I think it's a credit to how well she is able to, once again, kind of like Lakeith Stanfield, character might be a little bland on the page, but I think that the performance is good enough because I think we're we're all pretty emotionally invested in what happens to her at the end, I would argue. Mm-hmm. And um, I do think that is credit to uh, what she's doing as an actress here. And I've never seen her in anything else before this. So uh, I just want to shout, how, shout her out. Kudos to her. Grade, Danilo. What's the grade, man? I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I think the film does a lot of things right. I think it sets up what it wants to do and perfectly executes it. Um, I wouldn't say it's groundbreaking cinema by any means, but it's stylistically fantastic. The acting is great. And for me, it kind of hits that sweet spot of uh, I'm always looking for a good modern film noir. So 8 out of 10 for me. All right. All right. Lauren, what about you? Yeah, I'm a strong A2. It's definitely in my top 10. It's on the low end of the top 10, and it's a fun ride. It's I think it says something, but not so much that's, you know, life-changing. And I just think as a New Yorker, it hits me in a nice, special, sweet spot. And um, it's something that I think I can enjoy several times over. It has a big, high rewatchability factor for me. So, yeah, it's a high, high eight. 
I really, really hope that people uh, somehow discover this podcast review because if they all all they ever see is my written review from Telluride on the website, it's a poor representation of what this movie actually has to offer. And uh, my grade now would be an extremely strong 8 out of 10. It's not going to crack my top 10, uh, but I can tell you that there was more than a few times. So we're talking like, I don't know. Seven times, maybe. Whoa. (laughs) Where I contemplated putting this into my top 10 of the year. Just because it is such a wild, fun, crazy ride. Um, In the same way that I had so much fun watching Knives Out in a movie theater this year, I had just as much fun watching Uncut Gems, but in a less pleasurable way. But still pleasurable? I don't know. Am I saying it right? (laughs) (laughs) I I think think they'll get it. Yeah, yeah. This is also a kind of movie, too, that I actually would not have any trouble showing this to, like, my my family members or anybody like that you know there's certain movies where it's like yeah i'm not going to show it on the lighthouse but you know this because once again i feel like sandler is such a portal for so many different types of uh, moviegoers out there that even people that don't watch typically these kinds of films and they maybe just watch adam sandler's ridiculous uh you know comedies that he does they might check this out and be like whoa like what is this you know and all of a sudden it's like boom the the floodgates are open and here is something called cinema (laughs) i hope the safety brothers keep teaming up with unexpected actors this would be a great string to keep going they pulled great performances out of pattinson and sandler now so I, i think in terms of a filmmaking duo in all honesty i think they are the next coming of the coen brothers not in terms of you know, style or anything like that. But just in terms of a directing duo that we're seeing rise right now, mm-hmm. and I think could potentially cement themselves as all-time greats on the same level as the Coen brothers have put themselves up on, you know, at this point in their careers. Yeah. I really do believe Josh and Benny Safdie are heading there at some point. Yeah, and the and, fact and like that the... they're confident in what they want to tell and how they want to tell it. They know their genre. They know their style. And to have that at a young age is really awesome. And and especially in this early part of their career. So there's only growth been like this. There's, you could only go up. And the fact that this is where they are right now is pretty unbelievable. And they like edit their own movies too and everything else. They're like so involved with everything. And I really don't want them to lose that. That's like my big worry about them is they're going to, bite off more than they can chew with maybe something a little bit bigger in the uh, franchise world. I hope not. I hope Mm -hmm. they keep finding ways to tell anxiety-driven stories like this. And, and, you know, maybe also branch out, you know, to something else. Sure, like a different type of genre or something. But keep it small. Keep it small is, I guess, what I'm trying to say here. And their next film is a uh, remake of uh, 48 Hours, the 1982 uh, buddy cop movie with – uh, uh, Nick Nolte and uh, Eddie Murphy. Very interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Walter Hill as a director to them, I feel like, is going to be a good transition. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Oscar potential. We kind of touched on it a little bit with Adam Sandler there for a brief minute. Uh, Lauren, it's a hopeful prediction, but not an actual prediction, right? 
Yeah. Um, I have to admit, after he missed out at uh, SAG and Golden Globe, that was kind of, for me, the... It doesn't look good. Uh, he, I mean, let's look at it this way. He's basically in the same position even Hawk was last year for First Reformed. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Still not over that one. And even Hawk was winning more critics groups than Adam Sandler is. Yeah. So it's not looking good for the Sandman right now. Um, but, <laughs> but... The film did surprise a critic's choice. I did not expect it to get Best Picture, Director, and Editing nominations on top of the actor nomination for Sandler there. So it got me wondering, could this movie on nomination morning surprise, not with something that big like Director or Picture or even Sandler, but could we see a world where it does get like a lone editing nomination or a lone sound mixing nomination? What do you guys think about something like that? I actually had editing down as a, as a possible as a possible. Uh, again, I'm being hopeful. I'm not going to stick my claim on that, but I think I think there's a small slimmer of hope, and I think sound design is more than deserving. Also, you know that editing category is pretty fluid right now. Mm-hmm. I could see it happening. Yeah, I wouldn't count out this film. I would. It would be a nice thing to like. It's still in the bubble. It's on the back end, but it's still there. It still has a. A little chance, and I, I really wouldn't count this guy out. I really wouldn't. You know what? It also reminds me of a little bit. It reminds me just ever so slightly of a uh, drive and how it performed at award season in 2011. Yeah. Mm. You know that movie was hoping to get something for Albert Brooks. He didn't end up getting the Oscar nomination, and the movie ended up getting a lone sound editing nomination. But yet, it was a movie that like critics absolutely loved. You know. Yeah, very similar aesthetic too. To the sound. Yeah, so uh, that's what I'm thinking along the lines of right now at this time. Yeah. But uh, I was floating this idea the other day, too. I don't remember who it was, but somebody on the team, I was floating the idea of what if, like, Josh and Benny Safdie are just like the cuckoo, wild director branch, like, pick this year? (laughs) You know, that, like, (laughs) you know, because that director's branch is just doing some crazy shit nowadays, you know? That would be great. That would be a wonderful surprise. That would be crazy. I can't even speak on it. Like, that's how, like, crazy it is. I would need them to be, like, filming their own reaction nomination morning or something. Because I have a feeling it would probably be the most genuine, like, what are we doing here? Like, kind of a <laughs> not reaction. <laughs> like, we're in a group with Martin Scorsese, our executive producer on this movie. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> Oh, God. I love those guys. I really do. They're great guys. No, they're awesome. So I'm very, very happy for them. I'm happy that uh, I'm happy the film is being embraced by a lot of people. I'm happy that I'm happy with the movie. Because <laughs> believe me, I was not happy with this it's movie. It's always nice to turn around in a movie like that. Yeah. I don't remember the last time I changed my opinion this much on a movie. I really, I really cannot tell you the last time that happened. So, all right. With that said, Lauren, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. Danilo? You can find me on Twitter at Danilo S. Castro. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Uncut Gems here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.
I win. <laughs> you know, KG, you got to be stretching out. Do you want to win by one point or 30? Oh, my God. When he says that to him, that's fantastic. I love that so much. <laughs> Good line. One of my favorite, like, Kevin Garnett moments in the movies when he's in the auction and he turns to his uh, advisor and he's like, I got to have that stone. <laughs> 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 and then I was just thinking about like Adam Sandler has like a line at one point where he's like he thinks it gives him magic powers or something like that I don't know <laughs> hey guys it is Ryan I'm not sure if you know this about me but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can I like to work but I like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.